From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Today, we're learning from our esteemed veteran registered investment advisor, Adam Morse, and our human economic database and fearless CIO, Michael French. And today, we're talking about annuities. Now, annuities can be a pretty complicated subject, so today is more of a brief overview about annuities, how they kind of work, and try to give you a basis point to determine if an annuity could be right for you. Annuities are not right for everyone, but they are right for some people, so... Is an annuity right for you? Michael and Adam attempt to answer that question along with a lot more in today's episode of Keep It Simple. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast each and every week. Thank you so much for your emails, which you can also email us at podcast at assetbuilder.com with any episode suggestions or comments, or if you just want to say hi. All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, hope you're having a good week. Let's get to the show. Michael, what is what is one thing that your wife is better at than you are? Something that Sarah's better at than what, me. What would she say? Let's text her and find out. <laughs> Hang on. This will be interesting. I'd like to. Adam, what about you? I mean, just one. We could be here all day listing things. Oh, man. Um, I would say for sure, patience. Ooh. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of what. A lot of like that's the first thing that jumps to my mind. That's a good one. A lot of stuff that you come up with is just character, like character qualities in her that I deeply admire. Yeah. So, you know, kind, patient. She's more gentle. Oh, there we go. (laughs) What'd you say? He's still texting. (laughs) Number one, one of a (laughs) hundred. (laughs) <laughs> one of one one of yeah. two uh scheduling reverse burpees hang on she's still going oh, uh, actually, it's funny it's funny that eating. she said that because i was gonna say like managing a calendar yeah managing like calendar. natalie is so much better like i literally am the worst i will i will schedule three things all on the same day because i'll just forget that i'd already made the first two commitments yep uh dishes apparently she's better at she's better at anything in the kitchen how can you be bad at cleaning a dish, though? Uh, so I'm Natalie is bad at it. She puts it in the dishwasher the wrong way. Oh, okay. Well, she'll put I'm, a bowl. She'll put a bowl up in the like drawer. That's oh, no. a, that's incredible. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, that's worthy of. At that point, you have to suspect somebody's just trying <laughs> to get out of doing the job. <laughs> right. To be to be fair, uh, I'm sure I do a lot of things wrong. Like she would tell you, I vacuum incorrectly because I. I like to really, I, I'm very methodical where it takes way too long because I break up the house. And the, I do it like a lawn where I have to like cover the last line that I did. And so mm-hmm. it just takes me forever because I have to basically like break up every section of the house into squares that I can manage like that. And she's like, you're insane. But <laughs> like a serious answer to your question, I would definitely say just in general. And I don't just mean like, I mean, certainly with the kids, she's way more patient. She has the ability to like breathe, whereas I just get frustrated. But just in general, like she's patient with, like people and life, like she just doesn't, I get antsy about things. Like I get anxious about things and she just, she's really good at just taking a breath and just, you know, zooming out and just being like, Hey, it's all going to work out in the end. Things take time. And I really admire that because I think she's, 
I've probably said this before on the podcast, but she is a much more balanced person than me. And I think it's largely because she has the ability to just be patient with things. And I'm always just wanting things to go faster. So what are we talking about today, Jared? Uh, oh, yeah. We're doing a podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about annuities, something that you guys uh, probably have been talking about for a long time. Do you guys get questions about annuities, Adam, pretty often? Yeah, I do. I do get a lot of questions. Um, I mean, most commonly, I interact with annuities when, you know, working with a new client that already has annuities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, working through how they can fit into a portfolio that we're building for them. Um, you know, sometimes what are the best liquidation strategies? Um, so that's that's the most common way, just because we don't, obviously we don't sell annuities, but annuities are, you know, they're there for a reason and they're uh, a really big industry. And anybody that is, you know, looking at how to manage their own money, they need to be, uh, you know, at least to some extent educated on what annuities are, how they work and the pros and cons. So they can kind of, use those instruments to their advantage. So I think it's a good thing to discuss. Perfect. Michael, let's just start from the top to be comprehensive. What exactly is an annuity? What's its purpose? Why do people buy them? So an annuity is an insurance product. Uh, it's, it's a product that's sold to you by an insurance company. Um, its economic purpose is two, there's two kind of distinct stages of it. One is used to grow your money, and the other is to, and it's, it's the most common, uh, commonly thought of economic purpose, is to give you a lifetime of income. Uh, so it, it basically, an insurance product that allows you a, an, uh, a payout annuity or an annuity that's in a payout stage allows you to give money to an insurance company, and then the insurance company promises to pay out a series of payments over your life or over a defined period of time if you uh, selected certain options. So uh, in many ways, what it is, is it is an insurance product against living too long. Life insurance, Mm -hmm. insurance that you buy that protects you from dying too soon and an annuity is something that you buy that pr- protects you against living too long. So this is going to be especially appealing, obviously, for retirees who don't want to outlive their money while they're not working. For certain, for certain retirees who you know are are uh, probably income constrained, it would be appealing. And by income constrained, I mean they're looking and they're saying, "This money that I've accumulated, I'm not sure I can make it last my entire life." Yep. Um, anybody who has uh, a history, a family history of longevity, you know, if your parents all lived to be near a hundred, your parents, your grandparents, you might look at your money and say, "Man, I'm not sure I can make it last that long. Uh, I should, I should maybe look into this annuity product." Yeah, and I, I think it'd be helpful just because I, I find it interesting myself how annuities actually work. Like, what is the mechanism, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to if I have a portfolio invested in the open market that I manage myself, that's not guaranteed. Okay, so what is the what is the insurance company doing that allows them to guarantee that, right? right. Because I, I think you know one of the questions based on what Michael said that some people might have is well. Why would buying an annuity, if, if I don't have enough money to produce income for myself, why would, what is it about buying an annuity that solves that problem? And the answer is, 
on balance, you're going to get more income per year from an annuity than you could safely assume the market will provide on your portfolio. Okay, so if you have a million dollars invested in the market, let's just say you could safely assume it's going to pay somewhere between $35,000 and $40,000 a year. If you compare that to an annuity, and I'm just using numbers to keep this simple, let's say you take a million dollars and look on the open market for annuities, it might pay out $45,000 a year or $50,000 a year, right? So it's going to pay out more money. Now, there are pros and cons to both of those, and we can discuss that. But I think what's interesting, and, and Michael, jump in here because I think you know you have a more extensive background with annuities than I do, um, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but what allows annuities to work is pretty interesting in that Essentially, the mechanism that allows that to work is that when you purchase an annuity, you are essentially giving up the access. You're giving up the ownership of that, that amount of money. So if it's a million bucks, you're giving up the ownership of that million dollars in exchange for the guarantee of that income stream. And that's true of everybody else that's buying annuities as well. So the insurance company, they have this advantage, right, to be able to guarantee it where they take your million dollars, then let's say a million dollars from 99 other people. So they have this pool of $100 million. But what they know, right, because for any given individual, you can't predict when they're going to pass. But when you get a big enough population size, obviously bigger than 100 people. But in this example, they know actuarially, let's say after year one, one of those people is going to have passed away, right? Mm -hmm. So because you've signed over that million dollars when you bought the policy, They've only made one year's worth of guaranteed payments. So they have, let's say, all of that million dollars left after year one. After year two, two more people will have passed, just based on actuarial data that, that is true on population size samples. Mm -hmm. So now they have, let's say, 950000 left from each of those two people after year two. And so they have this, this rolling effect of this, this bulk of assets that they then can use moving forward to help guarantee the income streams for the remaining survivors in that pool of people. Does that make sense? Did I explain that in a way at all that is understandable? I thought that was perfect. Yeah. yeah. So Michael, did I say anything wrong? No, that's exactly right. The, 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 caveat, the, the caveats I would add to that is in Adam's example, uh, the, those large groups of people all have made the same selection. So life only or life with a 10 year guarantee, but, that is exactly right. The The insurance company doesn't doesn't know who's going to die, but they know that somebody's going to die after year one. A couple more people are going to die in year two. A couple more people die in year three. And so in the same way that if you paid life insurance premiums and you added up all the premiums that you paid and you were like, well, yeah, let's say you, you bought life insurance at 30 and it was, you know, for the rest of your life, it wasn't a term policy, but you bought it when you were 30 and it was a million dollar policy and you had to pay, you know, a thousand dollars for the, the policy. Well, how can they afford to pay you a million dollars the next mm -hmm. year if they only charged you a thousand? Well, because a lot of other people are going to pay that thousand year after year after year after year. Yep. And so it's the it's the reverse of that. It's hey, the people who live a really long time benefit. And the people who die earlier are funding that benefit, essentially, for the people who live a long time. Yep. Well, it's almost kind of morbid. It's almost like they're betting on people dying soon. 
for the survival of their business. It's not even a bet though, because a bet I would argue entails some uncertainty. Like they have this down to a science because they have, again, it's like markets. The more time you have, the more certain you can be about trends, the more, the bigger the population, the truer these, these statistics are. So, I mean, they are very good at this, like very good. Yeah. And so they have it down to a science and it's not, yeah, it's not a bad thing. I think any any kind of insurance can be viewed morbidly, like uh, a viatical settlement is the same thing. It's you're buying somebody else's life insurance policy and going to cash in on it when they die. You don't know, usually on these viatical settlements, you're not sure who that person is, but somewhere out there in the world, if somebody dies, you're going to benefit economically and you don't know who that person is. You have, you're not going to cry. You're not going to go to their funeral. It's not like mom and dad died. It's you've bought an insurance policy so that somebody else could get a chunk of cash that they needed. And if they die tomorrow, you just made a lot of money. If they live for 10 years, you probably lost money on that deal. And so there is a world uh, of, of insurance products that if you, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, sure, it can be morbid, but it is actually a way to, to provide an economic purpose. It fills an economic need for a lot of people. Right. Um, so if you think about it, if somebody came to you and they said, hey, I've got you know, this amount of money, what can you give me in a reliable stream of income? And you told them and they were like, man, that just doesn't allow me to meet my basic expenses for the rest of my life. Well, if you could give them an annuity, it might allow them to meet those expenses for the rest of their life. Now, they're not going to have some of the same flexibility. They're going to give up the liquidity, but it is going to allow them to meet that economic purpose. And so it would be beneficial to them to have that, uh, that made available to them. Right. And so I, I've listed out a couple. So we've talked about the pros and we kind of touched on the cons a little bit. I've listed out a few things. Um, well, let me back up. So I have this question. What are some things you should know before entering into it, into an annuity? And I have about six listed. Um, and the first of which maybe Michael, you can speak on this is that the people trying to sell you an annuity have an incentive to sell you an annuity. So it's obviously very important. You understand your situation um, and what an annuity exactly is before yep. you get into a conversation with that person. Would you say that's that that's fair? I think I think, you know, it's kind of like if you walked into a car dealership and the guy there is is going to be paid no matter what you buy. Uh, right. You're you're probably going to say uh, I, I trust that guy a little bit more. Uh, the reality is usually that if somebody sells you an annuity there is a commission that they receive up front that is uh, probably pretty significant. It's a, it's an incentive for them to sell. This is I think it's important to understand that the person selling you any product uh, is somehow being compensated. We are not a charity, um, so we're paid somehow. How are we paid? Um, in the same way, a person who comes to you and says, hey, have I got a deal for you? It may be a good deal for you, but you need to also understand what that person's motivations are and Mm -hmm. how they're compensated. And so if a person is significantly incentivized to sell you 
product A or a solution A instead of solution B, solution A may be right for you. You should just go into it with your eyes open, understanding that that person is also benefiting mm -hmm. by you choosing solution A. So just be yeah. aware. The, yeah, the person you should, shouldn't be asking is the guy trying to sell, like, is an annuity good for me or not? It probably shouldn't be the guy who's incentivized to sell you an annuity. It should be your I, own research and an advisor, maybe. Yeah, and I would ask, I would ask anybody who's selling me something, hey, what would be the conditions under which you would not recommend this product? That's so the idea. There, there have to be, if, if somebody's like, hey, man, this is the best product for everybody ever, no matter what they're, they're mm -hmm. like, like no, nah, I'm just going to go on to somebody else. Because I think most people, here's the thing, most people who can sell you an annuity could also put together an investment portfolio for you. Like they mm -hmm. could probably provide you with a range of different alternatives and should. If somebody's not willing to give you alternatives, if somebody says, hey, everything I see is a nail, why? Probably because they're a hammer. And you're like, mm -hmm. well, actually, that wasn't a nail. It was a, I don't know, screw. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's one of those. I mean, if I could use an analogy and again, I, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to qualify this heavily. But I just, it, it's top of mind. I just watched, uh, it's actually really interesting. I'd recommend it to anybody listening, but it, it's called, uh, I want to say it's called The Crime of the Century. And it was a documentary on HBO about the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. And mm, yeah, what's, yeah. Kind of, what's kind of interesting about that, and again, I, I am not equating annuities to, the, to opioids, not the same thing. <laughs> but what you saw in the opioid crisis it, 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 what, what is true is that some people need very strong pain medication, right? That is absolutely true. And in some cases, opioids are exactly the medication for them. What we saw, though, in the early 90s and, and mid-90s is because of the structure of the incentive for doctors, right? You were heavily incentivized as a doctor based on bonus payouts and you know, reward programs from these pharmaceutical companies to medical practitioners. You saw opioids overprescribed. So you had some people in the pool that absolutely needed it and some people that probably didn't need it but were prescribed it because it was good for the prescriber. I think there was a time where that was true of annuities. Annuities are not good or bad. They're a tool. Just like opioids, not good or bad. It's a medication. Used properly, very beneficial. Used improperly, very not beneficial, very harmful. So I think the same is true of annuities. I think there was a time where because there is a much more immediate benefit to the seller, right? Annuities have commissions for people selling annuities. That is a fact. So that money up front can be very attractive. Now, that mm -hmm. doesn't mean everyone selling annuities is out to get you. Certainly not. There, I have a lot of friends that do that for a living, and they're very good, upstanding people. I think the point that we always try to make on this podcast is – and it's, it's easier now than ever with the internet and the amount of information available to anybody. Just do your research, verify what they're telling you, make sure that you've compared it against other products, against other alternatives. And it could be at the end of the day that annuity is absolutely the right thing for you. And in that case, sleep well, knowing that you paid a commission for a product that was absolutely right for you. But just right. don't, don't do it because it's the first thing that the guy in a suit and tie told you you need to do. Exactly. And true of, that, true of everything, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Trust but verify. So my second thing, uh, Michael, was knowing the cost. And there are obviously 
fees and costs associated with uh, an annuity, such as rider fees and withdrawal penalties. Yeah. I mean, those are, those are, you know, obviously present, I guess, depending on how you look at it, people pay a commission. Um, it's built in. There's uh, just a cost that the insurance company uh, passes along um, for having an annuity. Right. So they have things uh, like what they call a rider. So a rider is an insurance policy provision. I'm reading it directly from Investopedia because that's my best source of information. Uh, Is that like the Wikipedia of the finance world? Do you guys trust that site? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's definitely the Wikipedia. Absolutely. That's a good analogy. I think it's maybe slightly more reliable, but yeah, again, trust, but verify. I think the best way to like kind of define a rider or the easiest example I would throw Uh out there. Yeah. it's so like the purest form of an annuity, right, would be you give me a million dollars today. I, the insurance company, pay you, let's just say, $4,000 a month until you die with no end date, okay? And then when you die, that is it. The policy is terminated. Right. A rider to that would say, you give me a million dollars today. I pay you, let's say, $3,800 a month. And then when you die, your estate gets paid out. Mm $250,000. Well, wait. No, no, no. For for 10 years. For Okay, for 10 years, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Which would be a period certain, or I'm going to pay it to you and your spouse, you know, something like that. Think about a rider in in the easiest terms. It'd be like, hey, if you rent a car, what did you rent the car? Do you want to buy insurance for the car? Do you want to buy, this was funny, I rented a car the other Mm. day. They tried to sell me, or they didn't try to sell me, but they uh, ask if you want to rent the little navigation system. And I'm like, you mean, do I want to pay you $11 a day for Waze? Um, just yeah. In, it, how time it's is, it's, it's like the travel insurance on a plane ticket. It's like an extra. It's that, it's that little I, box you check. Yeah. What am I buying? What Adam said. I'm buying this stream of income for life. What are the little nuances, the additions, the, the ways that I might modify this to meet other economic objectives? Like, I don't just want to take care of my life. I want to take care of my wife as well. Or maybe I don't just want to take care of my life, but I, I at least want to make sure I got 10 years of income out of this. All of those things can be writers. You can also have things like Annuities become have become increasingly complex, and so you could have things like um, uh, an annuity with uh, a long-term care rider attached to it, or it could work in concert with your long-term care policy. Um, okay. So it it is a rider is essentially anything that modifies the original intent or economic purpose, I would say, of the the insurance product that you bought. So additional services that you pay for yeah. or benefits yeah. that you pay for. Okay. Absolutely. And then Michael, maybe you can speak, or actually Adam, uh, you can speak a little bit about uh, the surrender period with its insane withdrawal penalties. Yeah. So, I mean, in general terms, and again, I'm going to defer to Michael because he knows much more about this in general, but okay. in broad terms, a surrender fee or a surrender period is a time in which you are penalized if you terminate the policy before that surrender period is over. So if you buy an annuity and let's say there's a five-year surrender period or 10-year surrender period, if you want to terminate the policy before that five years is up, there might be a graduating, a lot of times you have a graduating surrender period. So if you try to sell, let's say it's a five-year window, 
in year one, you know, there might be a 5% penalty in year two, there might be a 4% penalty and so on and so forth until you reach the end of that surrender period. Um, so that's a really important thing for, you know, investors or purchasers of annuities to know uh, going into it, right? Just because that can restrict your flexibility moving forward. So it doesn't mean it's bad, just something to be aware of when you make the purchasing decision. That's yeah. big. Not being able to touch your cash for five years is pretty big deal, Michael, isn't it? It, it is. Um, imagine, though, that we don't think it's a big deal that you can't withdraw money from your IRA until you're 59 and a half. Right. So, you know, it, is, it a, is it a big deal that, I mean, here's, here's a, a reality is like, should a 70-year-old be putting money into an annuity? Um, and everything that Adam said, I think, you know, you're kind of noting that it's in the accumulation phase. Once you begin taking withdrawals, th those withdrawals are just coming to you. You're not, you know, there's no lockup period then. Um, right. In that accumulation phase, I think, again, it goes to the question of, well, what, what's your stage of life? Does this make sense for you? So, you know, uh, if you're an 80-year-old purchasing an annuity and you're, you know, going to be accumulating and you can't withdraw anything for a specific period of time, that would be pretty, um, pretty difficult to explain or to justify. Mm -hmm. Not sure that, that that would be the best thing. I, again, I'm sure you can make a case and I'm, I'd love to hear what the case would be. Um, I think there's a couple of other things that we haven't really touched on. Um, the taxation when money's paid out of the annuity, um, mm -hmm. taxed is ordinary income. And so that is something that, uh, can make a difference. Uh, one of the things that we always talk about is, um, is that, is that true? Michael, I'm actually asking this because I don't sure. know. Is that true of all annuities or annuities if you purchase them like within an IRA? I believe it's all annuities, but okay. you know, it, like I hate to say it's with all annuities because then you, we always get somebody who's like, not got, true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Withdrawals and lump sum distributions from an annuity are taxed so, as ordinary income. There you so, go. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say is, is uh, we always talk about tax and policy risk and, and tax and policy risk is just, Hey, you want to have some of your money being, some of your income can be taxed at ordinary income. Some should be taxed at capital gains. That way, no matter what kind of monkey business you end up with, with the government, uh, mm -hmm. you can always pull a different lever. So, you know, if I have a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA versus a taxable account, um, it just, it, it allows me to fight off, um, you know, taxation rules. And so uh, if you had ordinary income coming out of your annuity and you have, let's say, Social Security, um, well, now I, I've kind of lost that battle. Everything's now being taxed as ordinary income, and I can't you know, adjust what I take out um, to fight those battles. So it's just something to keep in mind. I saw something here, Michael, that says uh, there's a deferred annuity, which uh, – it's where the IRS rules state that you must withdraw all of the taxable interest before withdrawing any tax-free principal. You can avoid this significant drawback by converting an existing fixed rate, fixed indexed, or variable deterred annuity into an income annuity. I don't even know. I might as well have just said Chinese. I don't know what that means. But it, it, So what you just basically articulated is that <laughs> at some point you need to annuitize. 
and when you annuitize there. Uh, so, uh, sorry, by annuitize, I mean, at some point you need to be, be taking out the money. And one of the ways to help yourself out uh, from a tax perspective is to convert that annuity into an immediate annuity. An immediate annuity is there's not going to be an accumulation phase. We're simply going to start the payouts. So you give us the million dollars and we start making the payouts. And so there may be tax advantages to that. Okay, so there are, uh, as you said, you can choose immediate payout or deferred. Um, there's also fixed and variable. Um, Adam, do you want to talk about those differences or the differences there? Yeah, so fixed, and again, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> variable is tied to typically tied to some sort of index or some sort of market-based measurement such that you don't exactly know what your your return within the annuity is going to be. So this would apply during the uh, before the annuitization phase or so during the accumulation phase. You don't know what the, the value of that annuity is going to be on a given day because there is a market-driven component to it. Now, again, there's annuities are, as Michael said, very complex. So there are, you know, partially variable annuities. Typically with an annuity, there's some minimum floor where you know, there's there's a built-in minimum that you're going to get, where you're not going to fall below. Like so, in other words, if the market drops to, you know, negative twenty percent, you know, the annuity will cap your losses at maybe five percent or ten percent mm-hmm. with the variable annuity, as opposed to a fixed annuity, which is essentially just a fixed return year after year after year. That's exactly right. So, is there a which is better, Michael, situation, or is it just again based on your unique situation? It's based on your situation. I mean, if somebody says, you know, it's kind of like the difference. And your risk, your risk capacity, risk profile. Yep. Yeah, it's it's like if some, if we ask somebody, hey, uh, should I be investing in uh, fixed income or equities? Well, um, mm-hmm. what's your, you know, what's your risk tolerance? What's your risk capacity? What's your economic objective? I, I think if somebody said and this is kind of important, if somebody said, you know what I need? And let's say that this was um, designed to provide for your essential expenses in retirement, that we weren't trying to pay for, you know, vacations and stuff. We were trying to actually pay for essential things like housing and food. And and so if you Mm -hmm. can get there by using a fixed annuity by looking at the rate that they're willing to pay you and you map that out and you're like, yeah, this would actually cover my expenses. It would allow me to accumulate um, to a point where I would have a a significant amount of money and that amount of money I could then decumulate using, you know, an annuity payout and it would meet my essential expenses. Then why would you take the risk of putting that into a variable annuity um, Mm -hmm. where you might make more, but you also might not meet your essential needs. And so the way I look at it is this, would I risk not being able to make a house payment, um, you know, 10 years from now, just so that I could maybe uh, buy a nicer car and make my house payment? No, I wouldn't. Now, yeah, I mean, somebody else might, but generally those essential expenses, you want to have those as uh, constrained as possible. You want to take as little risk as, as possible with those. And so um, you might say, hey, if it's for essential expenses, I'd like to have a fixed rate. If it's for 
uh, you know, desired expenses, vacation, stuff like that. I can roll the dice more on those things. But, you know, you need to make that decision, understanding what it is that you're uh, trying to accomplish with each one yeah. of those. Yeah. What are you willing to exchange for that potential upside? Right. Yeah. And that's that's the age old question with investing. Yeah. So, Adam, if you had to outline the perfect person who would need an annuity, like what is what would be their financial situation that would absolutely beg for an annuity? Oh, man. I mean, it's, it's there's not just one thing. I think the easiest answer would be someone who is on that margin between they have a very tight budget with mm -hmm. a very certain amount of income that they need and a very high degree of a very high percentage of those expenses are non-discretionary right so they have to be paid liabilities um, and they cannot reach it with a quote-unquote safe withdrawal rate based on the market but they can reach it with an annuity so if it allows you to get over that hump right to pay your month-to-month -month liabilities i think there's a lot of value there um i also think you know, I, right when you asked that, what popped my late grandmother popped into my head because I think she would have been, you know, I could never convince her. She was, you know, depression <laughs> era baby. She grew up in a world where, you know, planned for the absolute worst because she's seen mm -hmm. the absolute worst. She lived through a lot. So she was so, so risk averse. You know, once the era of nine, 10, 11% interest rates and CDs went away, so did the growth of her savings. You know, she was a frugal individual. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think someone like her would have been a really good candidate for an annuity, right? Whether variable or fixed, something that says, hey, in exchange for this, you can know what the future holds to some extent as it relates to your, your, your lump sum assets, right? Um, so mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're highly risk averse or you have a very low risk capacity, I think annuities can thrive in that area. Um, and then it's down to kind of deciding on the margins, you know, variable versus fixed versus what riders make sense for you. Oh, that was a really informative answer. Michael, what, if you had to outline the opposite, someone who absolutely on no planet would ever need an annuity, who, who is that? I mean, it, it, it really simple answer is something like Jeff Bezos. Like, look, <laughs> yeah. why, you, you know, what? It, again, I you see. can make the argument that, that Jeff Bezos could buy an annuity. It's not going to affect him either. Um, but but if you if you said somebody who essentially, under the worst economic circumstances, markets tank. I mean, everything short of a nuclear war occurs, but yet this person is still going to be okay. Well, then why annuitize? Why lock up your money? What is the benefit to doing that? And so, yep. you know, if, if somebody's like, oh, well, because I, you know, I can buy this annuity and it's going to hedge my uh, limit my downside, there are ways you can do that uh, less expensively. Structured products would allow you to do essentially the same thing without um, purchasing this insurance wrapper that essentially you're never going to use because mm -hmm. that person right. doesn't to. So Adam's answer was perfect. If you're on the cusp and this puts you over, uh, you know, the, an annuity allows you to get that stream of income that you're going to need. You're the perfect candidate. Uh, if you do not need the money, um, then 
absolutely, you know, worst, worst decision you could make would be to buy an annuity and essentially just pay somebody a commission for something that you don't need. Yeah. I mean, and, and why is that right? I mean, fundamentally annuities are about reducing uncertainty, reducing risk, right? right? In exchange for uncertainty, you are getting certainty. So if you don't, if that uncertainty poses no threat to you, if you're yep. a person like Michael just outlined, why would you pay the money for it, right? I mean, yep. that's one of the big downsides of annuities is they're not the cheapest things in the world. So if you can sustain that risk, by all means, go for it. And over time, you'll probably do better. Now, Michael, as a final question, um, briefly tell us what are the alternatives to annuities? What, what are the alternatives if you don't want to lock up your money for five years? Or- well, there is no brief answer to this question, Jerry. <laughs> I was like, we're going to be here forever. Um, so if you said, you know, what, what's the alternative to getting a, um, a structured payout? Right. Uh, but one of the things that I think is interesting is as much as we bash annuities, everybody used to love their defined benefit pension, which was essentially oh, an annuity. Happened. You know, it, it was an annuity. And so I think it's interesting that we have this. I don't want to say everybody bashes, but, you know, it's easy to bash something. And I think it's really because of the the commissions that get paid. Um, so what was your question? Uh, yeah. What are the alternatives to... Oh, what are the alternatives? Yeah, one, one of the things is um, bond ladders. And so what is bond ladder? It's simply you buy a, a, a series of bonds that are set to mature out in the future that are going to cover your essential expenses. Um, They're, you know, give you a way to know that as those bonds mature, assuming that the bond issuer stays solvent, um, you're going to have that stream of income that you need. Uh, The other thing you can do is instead of looking at the income side of your personal balance sheet, Look at the liability side of your personal balance sheet. And what I mean by that is if any of us today needed to cut our expenses by 10 or 20 percent, we could. You know, if you lost your job, uh, if you uh, had a financial hardship, you you don't just start looking around for ways to make money. You also start looking out for ways to save money. And so I think sometimes um, if you said, well, I'm going to create an investment uh, portfolio that allows me to have some degree of certainty, but then I would also be willing to cut some of my expenses. Uh, you can simply, you know, without having a, uh, a laddered bond portfolio, you could even use an equity portfolio where you, uh, and there are different methodologies out there where you adjust your expenses mm-hmm. based on returns. Uh, the other thing you can do is look at a bucket system where you say, hey, I would like to have three years, five years, seven years, depending on your risk tolerance. Um, I would like to have that amount of money safely set aside in a fixed income, low interest earning, obviously all these things, but very secure, uh, stable, accessible Mm-hmm. securities. And then the rest of it, I'm going to put in an equity portfolio. And every year, if if I can, I'm just going to refill that last year that I just spent. And so there are different strategies that allow somebody to say, I'm not going to annuitize, um, but I am going to figure out what the 
optimal strategy is for me that still allows me to create a stream of income. And then the how stable does that income need to be? It can kind of be adjusted by how much can I adjust my spending, which, you know, there's, there's a whole world of research and we do a lot of stuff talking to people around what is your spending pattern going to look like in retirement? And so even that can play in whether or not an annuity is appropriate for you and how much of your wealth you would want to annuitize. When it comes to the bond ladder, Michael's absolutely right. I would caution if that's something you're looking at doing, that's kind of where I would start to say, unless you're a pretty experienced investor, you probably yeah. want to get with you know a professional or someone that is a savvy investor because not, not yeah. just in the structuring of the bond ladder, but there are expectations about what your behavior is going to have to be as it relates to that bond ladder for that income stream to be in place. So just, just be aware, you know, don't go into that, you know, lightly, make sure that you do your research and know what you're kind of doing. If you're going to do something like that. Very fair. Anything else guys that we can, have we, annuities are pretty complicated, but you think someone could use this podcast as a starter point? Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely do. If you don't know anything about annuities, you know more now than 30 minutes ago. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Well, hey, it was good talking with you guys, and we'll see you next week. Awesome. Thank you, Jared. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. If you have a question for either Michael or Adam concerning this topic or anything else, please visit assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every single episode. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com.